0: listening to sci-fi tv rewatch episode 386 my name's dave i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne as we continue our discussion of the classic military science fiction series stargate sg1 so it's been a tough week for us ravens fans and uh <laughs> we're playing on tuesday this week so
1: that's cool yeah yeah um unless they you know are terrible again Yeah, you know, i mean Honestly, they you know they played the uh, the Steelers very shorthanded and only lost by what four points. So you know, so I, yeah. or five, I guess actually. But uh, so you know, there, there's hope. It's not a lot, but there's there's always hope. And
0: well, I think I think we need to go back and recount the points, and 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 we were certainly cheated the, the the game was stolen from us by the officials so right i, I think, I think there to.
1: was a uh a, a pennsylvania uh, referee who um did not uh allow us to view his uh his, his decision making process we he threw some of those flags
0: yeah no question so, so stop the steal but hey <laughs> that's okay well, we'll hopefully we'll uh get better tomorrow against the cowboys but anyway well that's a, that's um, a great
1: game to get better with this year so. yeah yeah yeah
0: before we go too much farther if you want to uh contact us it's sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com you can come to the facebook group and start posting there if you'd like uh, we do have a twitter account sci tv rewatch but i do have a little bit of news this week Not sure you're aware of it. Uh, I know you follow Vikings season six, part two, which is the series finale, is going to release on Amazon Prime Video, December thirtieth. Did you know that?
1: Um, I I I forgot the date, but I just saw that it's going to release on Amazon Prime before it. They show it on History Channel, right?
0: Yeah. So all ten episodes of the final part of the series are going to launch together just like Amazon does and, and Netflix for the most part the episodes are going to air on history sometime in 2021 <laughs> and I'm thinking why WTF <laughs> um I, I I don't even know what to think about this and and you know a lot of you guys know that I cover Vikings for Den of Geek I write weekly episodic reviews and Uh, Well, I did write weekly episodic reviews, and and I'm not a big fan of having to review shows that get dumped all at once. But fortunately, Netflix was very good with Lucifer when it went over to Netflix, and they got me the whole season about a month in advance. And uh, Vikings has done the same. And I, I say Vikings because, well, it's not history. It's not Amazon. I'm like, well, who the hell owns this show? Because once I get my screeners, I go to this link. I'm like... All right. MGM. So, all right, I'll, Mm. I'll play. (laughs) So I don't know, but anyway, so that's coming December 30th from what I've seen so far. I don't think any fans are going to be disappointed unless you're one of those people that just can't get past the fact that Ragnar is dead. So
1: they they should have had plenty of time to get over that. Uh, He hasn't been on the show for
0: quite a while now. I, I hear you, I hear you. But uh, anyway, uh, so what are you watching this week?
1: Well, I uh, I actually finished Doom Patrol. Oh, and okay. that was really good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I definitely recommend. It's, you know, it's, I don't know, it, it's it's very, you know, it's kind of weird. It's, it's very postmodern, you know, especially the, the first season was definitely better because they had uh, Alan Tudyk played the big bad and he was awesome and a lot of the, you know a, a lot of what made the show great that first season kind of came from him uh he was not in the second season but it was still very very good um uh, i think it went from dc to hbo i guess the ownership of the show right cuz it's hbo max now right yeah. yeah so there were some little differences but it was still very good. Brendan Fraser is is great in in his role. He's uh, I think do, do we I know you, you I know we do we actually ever talk about Doom Patrol? I don't know if we did officially.
0: I covered it with Michael. I don't even remember if we did the whole first season or just a few episodes or whatever. And and you know I enjoyed it, uh, not enough that I'm going to probably seek out season two. But you know you mentioned Brendan Fraser. He's just one of those actors that I just like everything he's in.
1: Well, I I can't say that. <laughs> but I did like Doom Patrol and he he is very very good in Doom Patrol. Uh, yeah, I could probably do let, without Encino man for example. Yeah, but, uh, I
0: was going to say let me rephrase that. <laughs> I, I
1: I I like him. Yeah. In everything yeah, he's in. He he is a very likable. Uh, I'm I, I obviously he he could be a complete a-hole in real life, but right, as an sure. actor he he portrays likable guys very very well. So, um so yeah, it it, it was good. There, there's it's there's a lot of depth to it. I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I would recommend it. Um, the other thing I'm not really going to talk about because it's, I can't really say anything. But if you're not watching The Mandalorian, uh, you should be. <laughs> that's all I can say about that. Uh, potentially the best show that's on television right now. It's incredible. The you know, shit just got real on the show. It's so good, you know, and the, the characters they're bringing in from the Star Wars universe. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, I, I can't say, but I I don't want to talk about it because, you know, again, people might not have, you know, watched the most recent episode, the most recent episode especially, was just out of this world. So it's, uh, it's just spectacular. Watch it. Cool. You should be watching okay. The Mandalorian.
0: Yeah, still haven't yet. I think Fred might, Give uh, feedback for one of the Mandalorian podcasts, but I could be wrong about that. I know he sent us a list of the shows he was giving feedback for. I th- think that might have been on it, but I-, I could be wrong. I know he does uh, Star Trek, but uh, well, for me, I'm in season two of the Danish political drama Borgen, that, you know, I mentioned before. And I also mentioned that the main character is played by Sidsey Babbitt Knudsen, who plays Teresa Cullen in Westworld. Well, dude, I finally realized why her right-hand man and spin doctor look so familiar. Okay, Now, I'm going to butcher his name, Pelu Osbeck, otherwise known as Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. Ah, nice. Nice. And the third main character, journalist Katrine, played by Birgit Hurt Sorensen, also had a one-off in Game of Thrones as a wildling with lines, but she's more known for her role as Ingrid in the HBO series Vinyl. I don't know if you ever saw that. I love music vinyl. industry. Yeah, that yeah. was
1: awesome. That's one of my favorite one-season shows ever. I was so bummed when it didn't get renewed, but yeah. it's a beautiful one-season of a show.
0: Yeah, well, she was Ingrid the blonde in okay. that, and then she also plays Commissar in Pitch Perfect 2, If you've ever seen, those.
1: Um, I have, have had, I have seen Pitch Perfect two a bunch of times. <laughs> okay,
0: I, I suspected you had, and, and yeah. you know, look, I have. They're fun
1: movies. I mean, they, I mean, they, are they just fun. are. And I, I actually, you know, like my big beef with Pitch Perfect two is, I mean, the sound machine clearly should have won that. You know, that that contest at the end, um, you know, they they put on the show. So that's all I'm going to say about it.
0: (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, let's get into Stargate SG-1, Episode 8 of Season 1, Brief Candle. Story by Stephen Barnes, who wrote for The Outer Limits. He wrote an episode of Andromeda. But he also wrote for the 2020 version of Twilight Zone, the episode titled A Small Town. So his career it, it it's kind of spread out where he's got some gaps. So I don't know what what he was doing there, but I mean if you get a writing gig on Twilight Zone in 2020, that was I would think a pretty big deal. Teleplay by Katherine Powers who's also the executive story consultant for season 1 of SG1 and she also had her hand in some Deep Space 9 and Next Generation. Directed by Mario Azopardi, who we know as the director of the pilot, Children of the Gods. Aired on September 19th, 1997. So I'm not asking you for your letter grade at this mm-hmm. point, but just in general, first uh, impressions. Uh,
1: I liked it. I mean, obviously my first impression is uh, the makeup is amazing in, in this one. The, how they uh, take Richard Dean Anderson from however old he is. At the uh, <laughs> during regularly on this show uh, that he was back in 1997, I imagine maybe in his 40s, maybe early 50s, um, and and then to age him a little bit at time as the show progresses, uh, it was really really good. Um, I, I hats off to the the makeup job there is awesome. The story itself, I, I enjoyed. Fred is a little critical of of the ending, I think. And I, I might have to agree with them a little bit on that. But uh, otherwise, I, you know, I, I think, you know, it just, you know, you had this big buildup and then, um, you know, the, the resolution comes kind of quickly at, at the end. But but otherwise, I, I have no problems with it. I thought it was a a really good show. It helps having a young, attractive cast. It must have been fun casting that show. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad you
0: mentioned the ending because it, it, it's something I've noticed about SG-1 is that the endings do come fast and furiously. And and it's almost like, you know, we see Dr. Frazier and Carter sciencing out the problem in the lab. And the next thing you know, all right, we've solved it. Here it is. Right. is. We're not going to tell you how we did it. Just yeah. don't ask. And then we've got the cure and- Virtually, know to little explanation, which is fine <laughs> to to watch. Uh, I extent. mean, it's
1: it's kind of fine, but even me, who I you know, my my powers of suspending my disbelief are pretty impressive, I think. But even at the end, I was like, what, like, you know, just all of a sudden, boom, like, do sex mocking anyone, you know, like, I, I don't know if I, I I thought that they probably could have. Built up to that a little bit better than they did. Instead of just springing it all at once, um, it's like you know, it's it's almost like they were in the writers' room and they're writing and writing and writing, and all of a sudden they're like, "Holy shit, we're at forty-two minutes!" <laughs> yeah, we only have forty-two minutes. We've all, we, and we've written all these pages. We we only have like you know three minutes left to to resolve this. And so, um, instead of going back and and working into the script, they just came up with something very. I don't. That's probably not actually what happened, but you know, I feel like that's what
0: happened. You never know. I mean, really, I mean, so, so many scenes that end up as DVD extras that got cut really for time purposes. And, you know, a lot of times the, the writer or the director or the showrunner will talk about how uh, they really regretted leaving that scene out, you know, and for whatever reason, Ronald D. Moore is, is wonderful for, for pointing out those sorts of things, Uh, with Battlestar Galactica. But, um, you know, one of the things about this episode is is there's a very simplistic theme, right? Treasure every day like it might be your last. Right. And, okay, it's pretty simplistic. Is it deep enough to work for a 44-minute episode? No. Yeah, and and that's kind of my (laughs) impression. I mean, the episode has other things going for it, But, you know, I think you mentioned last week or the week before that, you know, at at this point, there's really no development of any overarching storylines. You know, the characters are getting to know each other, but just so little at a time. I mean, other than Jack's backstory, we really haven't gotten much out of anybody at this
1: point. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's not. You know that's not necessarily a, a terrible thing. Absolutely you know? not. Right. It, so it it, it
0: it is what it is. To to coin a phrase that I'm actually getting tired of hearing. So I don't know why I said <laughs> it. But uh, now the other thing I did notice is that Jackson's carrying a sidearm in this episode. So oh, I did not notice I that. Guess the writers heard me last week or the whenever I mentioned that.
1: Yeah. Um, well, your comment went through a portal in time to to reach back to the writers in 1997.
0: There you go. So we've also got the discovery of the gold experimentation with nanotechnology. So I guess certainly we have to keep in mind as we move through season one that are we going to encounter these experiments on other planets? And if so, is that going to be kind of the the trope that Fred and and we talked about hoping we weren't going to see with all these ancient cultures? So. Um, I don't know I, I guess maybe if the experiment's cool enough I mean this was kind of a cool experiment I mean w- when you look at it, it um, I, I could kind of dig the whole rapid aging thing although not sure what the goal was after with it,
1: it yeah well you know, they can only theorize as to as to why and, and of course Jack is just like he was just toying with you you know like you were just an experiment that's all you are um, which makes it even worse because he didn't even care enough about, you know, or he left the, the experiment running uh, despite, you know, just as after he left and just left it there. And so these people continue to go and live, you know, a 100 day lives, which I guess if that's. Well, no, no. Sam said something
0: about whatever technology she MacGyvered together there at the end is gonna allow them to now age normally. No,
1: but I, I mean the the whoever the Oh the Gauld. Oh I got the you. The Gauld, yeah. Right. Who just left him there. I mean that's obviously even more harsh that, you know, not only is he experimenting with human beings, but then he experimented with them and just left them right. to continue on. Well, but, and- but 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 of course then you think if everyone only lives a hundred days then do you have a idea of mortality or whatever, or, you know, like, I, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, Exactly, like, you know, but like, but like if, if they don't understand that there's a possibility or living of living beyond that, you know, w- they they have no sense of like loss, I guess, they, like they wouldn't think we're being robbed or anything because that this is what their existence is.
0: Well, right. And I think that kind of gets established when, when Kin- it's either Kinthia or the the young woman that has the baby. It explains that we've only got 100 days of bliss, so we need to enjoy them. That's their whole life is just enjoying each day. And I, I think it's Teal that notices immediately uh, these people don't look like they've ever worked a physical day in their life. Uh, I don't right. know why the gold would even bother with them because, yeah. you know, of the typical reason that the gold would, would take human beings to a planet, which was you know, generally to work. The other thing that I'm kind of starting to have trouble with is Jack on more than one occasion will tell the people, "Now nah, you don't have to worry
1: about the gold. They're not going to come back.
0: Well, right. how do you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, and again, in the same way, like you said, like whoever this gold was that started this experiment, left it. Well, Jack is going to have them tear down the statue and completely, you know, leads this revolution. And then what's he going to do? He's just going to, you know, stroll back through the stargate. Well, of course he doesn't think that, um, he's probably, you know, is my thinking He might be dead, but, but still he won't be around to suffer the consequences. If the goal will do show back up.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to wait too much longer to get to my favorite aspect of this episode, which is of course, Bobby Phillips, who plays Kinthia. And this is not my first experience with her as an actress. Uh, Showgirls, one of the great films of the late 20th century. It's yeah, the, yeah.
1: It's a classic. Yeah. Um, she's in that. Taught, and, and taught in film schools everywhere still.
0: Fred uh, provided some production stills that or i guess screen caps rather that that he took and we won't be posting them on the facebook group let's just say no. that but uh fred it's still you. a family
1: show kind of exactly
0: but i know her from the x-files uh an episode from the third season called the war of the coprophages where she plays dr bambi barenbaum who was an entomologist And it's one of those episodes where Mulder and Scully are in separate locations, and they're communicating with each other by phone throughout much of the episode. So, as you might expect, Mulder finds himself working with Dr. Bambi Barenbaum on, you know, I won't go into the plot details, but there's just some fantastic exchanges between Scully and Mulder, when he's explaining to her what's going on, you know, she hears the female voice in the background. And of course she's got the sexy, sultry voice there in in the same way she has in Stargate. She says, well, who's that? And he says, it's Dr. Bambi Barenbaum. Dr. Bambi Mulder. I'll be on my way. I'll be right there. (laughs) And then uh, when Scully drives up and, and Dr. Bambi meets her there, scully pulls out her sidearm you know cocks it you know however they do slides the whatever back this is no place for an entomologist (laughs) and i'm just i'm sorry i probably told you guys more than you wanted to hear about that x files episode but she's just great (laughs) but she retired from the film industry in like 2004 she got married and then she became this huge animal rights activist and apparently is extremely well known. Uh, she has come back to acting. So uh, yeah, I'll to check out what she's doing for sure. You saw Showgirls, right?
1: Um, I don't know. If oh, come seen on. The a, I know you don't want to admit it.
0: That's fine. Okay. Right. <laughs> I saw it for you twice. Okay. Right, three times, maybe four.
1: Well, it is, it is a classic, you know, it's, you know, there's citizen Kane, than showgirls then maybe like you know the godfather yeah varsity blues right all right um opening scene we get
0: that that image of the roman or greek era civilization the sg team comes through the gate uh and we f- find ourselves in a temple so it, it seems like the gates are either inside a beautifully adorned temple or out in the wilderness somewhere with you know brush kind of growing over it so OK, you know, they find the husband and wife in distress over the impending birth. And, and again, I love it as the four members of the SG-1 team look at each other like. And of course, everybody looks at
1: Sam like, right. don't look at me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that low key misogyny, man, just can't help rearing its ugly head in almost every single Well, episode, you know, but so.
0: I, I think the way they handle it is with such a light touch and it's always counterpointed with scenes you know again like we see it's doctor Frazier and carter who really figure out what the hell is going on here so i'm okay with that playfulness there because the the amount of respect they all have for carter just increases with each mission so i'm okay with that i i just thought that was really really a a funny scene but of course daniel takes control of the birth and you know
1: well you know once again they they show up in the place and you know jack they see the statue and and jack's like so daniel what is this he's like i don't know it's like honestly daniel why are you on this team Uh, right yeah, you know, like you seem to be not helpful. Well, of course he is helpful because he, you know, it's able to uh, assist uh, the lady with with the birth. But you know, like not before he lets you know Sam take some shade for this. You know, when he could have just said, "Oh, well, I've kind of actually done this before. I guess I can do it." You know, like doesn't really offer that up right away.
0: Right, and, and I mean, I guess you could make the argument that it does seem to be one of these. Retro cultures, and you know, once we really learn, uh, you know, that it really is a hedonistic culture that—that's what their whole lifestyle seems to be based around. And I guess if you knew your life was only going to be a hundred days, there's an argument to be made for living it that way. But of course, that's what the Gauld uh, Overlord wanted
1: them to do anyway. But they're
0: known as the but, Chosen. Uh,
1: well- I mean, again, not to get too size because I don't know a lot about size, but it seems like it's all relative, right? Like our lives might seem horrendously brief to some other race out in space, right? They might that maybe they live for thousands of years, and they look and they like pity us with how short our lives are, and how quickly we age. Um, so again, with with the team. And again, it it is bad because they are human beings and they're living unnaturally short human lives. But again, it's it's all relative. You love the Shakespeare allusion,
0: right, to to Macbeth. Um, Sure. Out, out, brief candle. Life is nothing more than an illusion. So you know, I, I think that works perfectly here as well, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you certainly make a good point, you know, as, as they're looking over the villagers, you know, they immediately latch on to the fact that there don't seem to be any old people here, which, okay, I, I guess, I mean, when, when you see Kintia, for instance, and we learn that she's 31 days, And, you know, we see her, you know, she's about, I guess, late 20s, maybe 30 at this point in real life. Well, she's still got 69 days to go to age. So
1: I guess what I'm getting at is, well, why don't we
0: see any old people?
1: Exactly. Why aren't there old people? Exactly. That's that's a great question.
0: So, you know, maybe we're asking questions we shouldn't be asking. But (laughs) anyway, so one of the young women... Uh, Kynthia flirts with Jack, tells him <laughs> the food. She gives him this this plate, and he's ready to share it with everybody. No, it's only for you. And again, Sam is the one the camera focuses on, as she's so amused by Kynthia's attraction to Jack. And and I guess what I love it uh, love about it is that we're not really shipping Jack and Carter. I mean, no. maybe subconsciously maybe but but there's just not that sexual chemistry between them and that's great you know except
1: for the time she jumped him in the locker yeah
0: well that's true right that's true (laughs) it was that (laughs) yeah yeah but you know we learned that the food has this euphoric effect on jack and again seeing him like carter That scene in the locker room when she jumps jack you know this is so unlike him to be out of control like this and then of course when she performs the exotic erotic dance that uh, mesmerizes him leads him into bed what exactly
1: just happened uh well dude your ninth grade health teacher could probably tell you what happened jack
0: yeah exactly (laughs) um and, and then you see the other couples coming in the into the room and he's like, Whoa, what's going on? Because I'm (laughs) sure he's thinking like we're thinking like, okay, I'm a pretty liberal guy, but you know, maybe not that liberal. Then the next takeaway is that he notices Kinty either dead or unconscious. And, and he's, I guess, cognizant enough to take her pulse and, and understand that still alive, the team enters Again, another opportunity for Carter to roll her eyes because Jack's uh, without his shirt and he's got some kind of—I don't know what—some kind of uh, <laughs> silky wrap around his uh, waist. And <laughs> you know, okay, nice, yeah, nice visual of Jack doing that again, so sure. out of character, and and gives them a chance to uh, allow Carter's. You know, again, some more teasing, and and I guess in, in terms of developing story arc, you know, this is maybe so subtle that it doesn't really count. You know, the, the, this relationship that's developing between Carter and O'Neill. But I still like it, I, you know. I still like it. I mean, it's sort of like the one that O'Neill's developing with with Daniel. In that, you know, like like you said, they get there first, and and Jack's like, all right, what's this? And you know, Daniel's like, well, it could be Greek. It could. You, and then Jack's finally like, never mind. I'm sorry, I yeah. asked. <laughs>
1: well again why is Dan- I i'm going to keep going but why is daniel on this team i just don't know
0: right because <laughs> we don't need him to decipher the the uh no. dialects no.
1: because uh, tl did that right yeah exactly he he does it
0: and you know you asked earlier uh, whether or not these people have any kind of a concept of you know what it means to experience loss and, and things like that and You know, we don't know. I mean, obviously, people live out their lives and die at some point, you would think, so that, um, you know, they must have to bury the bodies somewhere. We don't know what their reaction to that is. You know, maybe they have a big party and, you know, everybody celebrates and it's just that people – you know live they get pregnant they have babies the babies grow up you know this whole cycle so so we don't really know but when Jackson asks him if they have any written historical records the guy doesn't have a concept of writing sure which then leads you to believe well he's got no concept of thinking probably either
1: true right well we also know that the the gold aren't big on allowing people to write in the first place you know um <laughs> we saw that in in the movie so but but obviously if you're only going to live a hundred days you know, i mean well they acquire speech pretty quickly um obviously it, but uh you know writing probably is just something that you, know, you just don't have enough time to develop any kind of writing system
0: yeah now um you know we, we talked about Sam working with Dr. Frazier in the lab. And, you know, I mentioned last week how, how the show has really been set up for the four main characters and then General Hammond as the fifth. And that's pretty much it. And as soon as I was doing the editing after we were done, I'm like, well, Dr. Frazier, you know, and again, right. spoiler alert, Dr. Frazier's going to continue to be in the series and play a you know, important role, not as important as the four members of the SG one team, but still we're going to see Dr. Frazier quite a bit. So, uh, you know, certainly get used to her, uh, you know, we'll, we'll learn more about her as the, as the story goes, but, but again, I, I love the dynamic whenever she's working with Carter and, and, uh, because they're the two women amidst all of these men and, 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 right again i i i think what i love is that they are respected within this environment and yet there's this natural bond between the two of them because they are women in this environment you know where they're the anomaly rather than the you know the typical situation but you mentioned the makeup and i agree with you it was just phenomenally done Carter returns Jack's age considerably. Well, don't keep the elderly waiting. It's rude.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a good
0: line. And, and again, he gets the best lines. I think sure. Carter gets the best eye rolling uh, <laughs> visuals generally associated to something that O'Neill's doing. But the other thing I love about this, and I think it's a viable theme to consider because we've run across the whole idea of bringing a virus back to earth and jack immediately is unwilling to chance it you know he sends a team back to you know figure out what the heck's going on but even general hammond has made a decision that he's going to protect as many at the expense of the one and of course that initially horrifies the other three team members but it's the absolute right decision to make. And as he says, O'Neill would support me a hundred percent in making this decision. Yeah. And while I get that Jackson, you know, initially can't deal with it. Teal'c is a soldier. I mean, he's new to the U S air force admittedly, but he is a soldier and Carter is as well. But they're a team and they're a family and it's understandable. And, you know, despite his bravado, it's tearing General Hammond up to have to make this decision. But it's the absolute right one.
1: Right. And and that's kind of uh, Hammond. And we've mentioned this a lot. It's, you know, heavy lies the the head upon uh, whatever. You know, it's when you're in charge. Uh it's there's a big burden and responsibility with that. Uh he is and, and so he ultimately has to make the tough decision and part of you know leadership is and we've said this before that, you know, you might have to make a decision that's not popular, but if it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. Uh you can't bake your decisions on winning a popularity contest um as recent uh American politicians maybe have could learn from that. But you have to make the tough calls. And this is, as you said, I mean, definitely, as he says, you know, this is, he's the finest soldier I've ever known is obviously not easy. It is not a callous decision. It is the right decision, right? He's they've already had a almost outbreak that, that almost got out of the the lab there, right? Earlier. um, You know, he had to order men to be outside with guns in case anyone got out. So, You know, he understands that the responsibility he bears here, it's a tough decision for him, but he's shown time and again that he is going to, he's going to, he's going to make the right decision, even if it's not the one that people want or that's going to, right.
0: Right. And you wonder whether this is setting up the SG-1 team for a situation somewhere down the line where. O'Neill or one of the others has to make that tough call. And uh, uh, of course we know from a uh, narrative storytelling technique and the fact that all four of them appear on the DVD box set uh, that none of those four are probably going to die. I, right. mean, I mean, you never know, are, are they going to have to abandon one of them on a planet and that person is there alone for, three, four, five episodes. I mean, you y- you never know. I but I but I think that's certainly something to pay attention to. But but that kind of leads us then to Kynthia revealing to Jack that, well, you ate the marriage cake. Uh he's like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, Wait, and, what? And, and it reminded me, I again, I can't think of any specific movies, but we all know the scene where you know the guy and the girl have a one night stand uh, yeah firefly right get up the oh right well exactly get up the next morning uh yeah but uh, get up the next morning the girl's acting like okay now we're in a serious relationship and the guy's freaked out and then he's like nah, i'm just messing with you (laughs) (laughs) and of course that's not what happens here and, and it's not exactly what happens in firefly either
1: yeah. Well, I also want to say that I, I understand that Firefly came after this show so that they did not, I'm not saying that they got this idea from Firefly. I'm just saying that that's where I remember seeing. It. Well,
0: yeah. well, right. And, and, you know, she's so innocent in all of this and she's explaining her view of really her world view of their creator and what he's given them. And, and, and of course he's just really angry because he's, he's, aging to the point that he understands if Carter doesn't figure out what's going on, I'm going to die here because I'm not going to take whatever it is I've got back to Earth. And it's, it's something that that I just think is really wonderful about her character. It's almost like she's understanding of his anger at his predicament and allows him to vent and right. then, and then goes for a walk along the the beach with him and uh, you, it just i I really like enjoyed that aspect of the episode
1: it, yeah it was the the only thing I didn't like about it was at the end it was like I learned so much from you well like, yeah I why know. you gotta ruin it like that you uh, know like <laughs> you, we get it we get that her carpe diem attitude is kind of rubbed off on you a little bit uh a little bit of your not carpe diem uh, that who's probably rubbed off on her we we get that you don't have to give us a sappy line that explains it you know we we get that that you you two have bonded
0: now what would you make of him trying to write a letter to Sarah because
1: he doesn't get very far um no, and I was wondering what the I saw dear something I was like oh who who is he writing to?" Um, Yeah, he just writes Dear Sarah, and that's as far as he gets, right? And then closes the book. So
0: does he feel like there's nothing she wants to hear that I've got to say? Because I don't get the feeling he thinks he's going to get out of this. As much faith as he has in Carter, I I think he's kind of resigned himself to dying on this
1: planet. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So why why does he— suspend writing that why doesn't he finish writing the note um that that's a good question Yeah, you know, I, I i don't know i don't know you know like at the time being it's just because i think someone comes into the room and he doesn't want you know i think maybe cynthia comes in he, he doesn't want her to see that he's writing a, a letter but that, yeah. that's a really
0: good question yeah now um i think that's a recording he's watching rather than a live
1: uh, right broadcast yeah because um, he's rewinding it and watching it again right
0: right so, you know, they give him a sit rep and and we really know they're all saying goodbye and, and putting on a brave face. Because at that point, she and Frazier really don't have anything, at least anything concrete. I mean, they kind of know what's going on. But you know, as you said earlier, and Fred mentions in his feedback, it's like all of a sudden, oh, this is what it is. Here's how we fix it. Let's go. Yeah. Episode over. Thank you for all you talk.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 It's just let's just really kind of. I don't know. Um, I I just really feel like they could have worked up more gradually to it. I think they kept throwing obstacles and obstacles and obstacles in the way. And then finally, they got to a point like, oh, holy crap, we need to resolve. You know, but we've we've painted ourselves into a corner by just throwing up you know too many obstacles. Like, do they need? do they have to wait as long as they did for Hammond to say, I'm destroying all the samples? I, I don't, you know, they could have done that much earlier um, or not at all, right? Not Have that not be a thing and then give us some more of their discovery of of what's going on. I don't know. It, it definitely would, felt like not 100% naturalistic. Yeah, I, uh, I know.
0: But, but I, I guess for General Hammond, it's almost once he hears the words artificial intelligence – That's when he goes into destroy mode. And I I get that. Uh, But the other thing that I couldn't help but noticing in in terms of, you know, our contemporary world, and that is the toppling of the statue of Pelops, because, I mean, certainly here in the United States, that's something that's become, you know, a real point of emphasis as we reevaluate our past and what things should be revered and which ones maybe we have to, uh, you know, look at again and and see that. And of course the, the toppling of statues is something that has taken place in the last year or so here. So when Jack gets them up into a fervor and, and, you know, they topple the statue, of course, I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I think, Those of us that have seen enough sci-fi shows, kind of figured, okay, there's going to be some sort of device in there, and you know, whether it whether we thought it was going to be broken, we figured at least it would be. Ah, there you go. Now we know how to fix it, and we still got two minutes to go in the episode. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, and also they discover that um, you know if they just walk far enough away from the village that they don't fall asleep. I'm like. I mean, well, I guess if if you're, if you only live for a hundred days, that doesn't provide a lot of opportunity for like experimentation, scientific discovery, I guess it's kind of like the thing, but you think about it, like, did no one ever walk too far away from the village? I know Pelops forbade it, right? But certainly, you know, I mean, you have generations after generations somewhere along the line, someone must've been curious enough to just walk far away and realize, hey, I don't fall asleep. If yeah. I stay out here, you know, yeah, why don't, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, anyway, one, one. I, I didn't nitpick too much. I, right. I did like the the, the episode. So. And
0: then we got to hear her ask him uh, if he was done making love, and he said,
2: "Oh God,
1: I hope not." <laughs>
0: so anyway, uh, all right. I did that and, very well, Dave. I like right. that. It was good. Right. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so anything else you want to bring up before we get to
1: Fred's feedback? No, not really. I don't think. Okay. All
0: right, well, let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we'll be right back.
2: Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 8. In the category, what are we watching? I watched the... I never would have, but because of The Mandalorian, I watched the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. And actually there is a lot of kind of portal stuff in it. They call it a force gate. But it looks very much like a Stargate SG-1 portal. Though I thought that was funny. I put some screenshots on the Facebook page. Furthermore I started watching Iron Fist. And I do like it. I don't think it's so different from Luke Cage or Daredevil. Whereas some critics find it much less. But I don't see that so far. I'm at episode 6 now. Okay, let's go into episode 8 of Stargate SG-1. Let's start with an immediate nitpick. Episode opens with going back to a ancient culture, as it looks like. And there is a woman behind a pillar in labor. And of course the whole SG-1 team looks at Sam. Please help this woman. Whereas after the opening credits, we find out that Daniel had done this before. So why doesn't he open his mouth immediately? Like, I can try to help. So they all first start to look at Sam. And Sam of course reacts, don't look at me. (laughs) Haha, nice extra joke. Then there were some themes in this episode that reminded me of other stuff, like, for instance, Jack O'Neill being intoxicated by the pie he got and then is going to have some interaction with a local called Kintia. This reminded me very much of the very first television interracial kiss between Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Uhura, Also under influence of some drug or virus or whatever. I don't remember what it was. I think it was telekinesis and not so much an agent. Second thing this episode reminded me of is the fluffy-dovey society these people have here with no hard labor reminded me very much of the 1960s movie, The Time Machine, with Rod Taylor, where we have this Eloy people. I actually discovered in looking for this old 1960s movie that there is a 2002 remake. I never noticed that that film was made, so I will have a look into that. I noticed that this 1960 movie more often has a reference point somehow in my brain. So somehow it's it's a kind of epic for me. I don't know if it plays in general that role, but for me it does. The aging of Jack O'Neill was quite nicely done. Although I had some problems with this 50-60 years of age, but when he got older... Even when much older. They did a very nice job. They also succeeded in making his voice older. He sounded a bit like Grant negus Zack from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, though. And then the big contrast with his Kintia as a young woman next to him made it even more impressive. Really nice. This Kintia is, by the way, played by Bobby Phillips, who has quite a different role in a two-years-earlier Paul Verhoeven film, Showgirls. I found the end of the episode a little bit too convenient that with these nanites dead in his blood, he would, I mean Jack, return into his normal state within two weeks. And last remark. I posted that I watched the episode The Knox, so the previous episode, episode 7, and got a Twitter reply by Frida Bertrani, who plays Laya, the Knox woman in that episode. So together with uh, Armin Shimmerman. Nothing special, but always nice that you get a reply by an actress who played this role 23 years ago. And she said, I hope you enjoyed this one. And then all kinds of emoticons. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right. Now,
0: he mentions the classic film, The Time Machine, uh, with, uh, God, I can't think of his name. Uh, Anyway, it's a great film, made in, I think, like 1956. And when when you see people like The Chosen in in this episode, Rod Taylor. Is it Rod uh, Taylor? uh, Yeah, yeah, and it's a 1960 film. Mm -hmm. Um, You you, you can't help but make that connection between the Eloy and The Chosen because the Eloy, even though we're in the year, I don't know what, it's like 600,000 or something like that. He goes so far into the future. He starts in the Victorian era and ends up, in the, uh, six digits uh, of, t- in terms of years, but, but yeah, no, Fred, it's not just you. I, I, I definitely, uh, uh, made that connection. Yeah. Show girls. That was, uh, <laughs> um, Oh, the, uh, thing. And he'd sent us the, the message about how, yeah, like a lot of people, he, he either posts in Facebook or, or Twitter about shows that he's watching and, you know, often provide the IMDB link and, uh, Again, next thing you know, the actress that was playing the uh, the younger female in the Knox responded, and like, yeah, all right, you know, we've had that happen to us a, a few times over the sure. years, and it, very popular. It, it never gets old when when <laughs> one of the people associated with the show that you're yeah. talking about or writing about uh, chimes in, unless, of course, they say, "You two
1: morons." Yeah, leave us alone. Never talk about me ever again.
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> no, but for the most part, I think they, they, they enjoy people still talking about their work. As, you know, I would, too, if I'd done something you know almost 30 years ago, um, or actually, I'm sorry, a little over 20 years ago, and that uh, people are still talking about. That's That's got to be exciting. Anything else
0: you want to bring up about uh, Fred? Fred?
1: Uh, I just you know like uh, he's he's watching Iron Fist and you know I, it was okay you know I don't know I would definitely put it on the the as the very least of the Marvel shows that that Netflix did but uh, there's there's some moments to it but uh, I hope you enjoy it, Fred.
0: Yeah, I've, I enjoyed some of it. Well, I really enjoyed uh, the first season for sure. Um, and 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 a, be honest, look, we've made no bones over the past eight or nine years we love women and if you love women great if you love men great if you love both great We're you know whatever but you know so for me jessica henwick as colleen wing that's what kept me going in iron fist yeah. because finn jones now maybe they wanted to make his character unlikable yeah, because if they did, they succeeded. So they, I yeah. <laughs> didn't like him yeah, at all.
1: I, right, I, I think that's the major problem. I just I would just saw him as kind of like just this little kind of spoiled rich kid. Um, I never really uh, you know connected with that character as much as um, you know Luke Cage or or Jessica Jones. Yeah. So uh, all right, well we're at that point in the
0: podcast where we've got to assign a grade and uh, not worry about what the writer's mom or dad's gonna say because right <laughs> <laughs> they're
1: probably long dead uh anyway uh,
0: you know I'm, I'm thinking like maybe
1: b plus yeah i'm thinking the b plus i mean certainly you know, not I, I, in the I, a range. I can't i can't give it an a no. right that, that that ending just uh precludes that uh period but um right and, it's and, still a solid enjoyable episode yeah i thought so as well and
0: and I guess we just kind of have to accept that this is 1997 and you know, the, the whole idea of the overarching theme. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say it wasn't in use because certainly the X files had been doing it since 1993 and I'm sure there were other shows doing it as well, but it wasn't as commonplace as it has been for the last 10 or 15 years. So, sure. and then again, you never know, what the showrunners know, they may have no idea whether they're going to get a second season or not. So, why should we spend all the time developing? And I mean, let's be honest: Star Trek, the original series, did just fine with with very few overarching themes. So, right. Anyway, um, all right, good. So we'll stick at B plus. Um, you know, any final thoughts? no okay not really all right. so let's put out this brief candle all right sounds good all right well listen that will do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch want to thank you for joining us uh, love to hear what you think about stargate sg1 uh, anything else going on in television maybe give us your reaction to the news that vikings is going to drop on amazon rather than appear on history channel uh, join the facebook group if you haven't already Emails can go to fi tv rewatch at gmail.com, and we'll be back next time to discuss episode nine of Stargate SG1 titled, dude, Thor's Hammer.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. But until then, you know, Dave, I, you know, I saw that uh, you had um, changed your, your cover photo in Facebook to to have your bases, which I thought was pretty cool. It made me reflect on you, Dave, and I said, you know what? You never cease to amaze me with all your talents, Dave.